Well, good morning, Center Church. How are we doing? Doing good? I, uh, I drove in and I passed a high school bigger than the college I attended this morning. So I see how you guys do it here. You're, I'm, I'm impressed already. And, uh, you know, I was, I was actually here um, last July. So I'm actually a part of the Zero Collective. So I'm a pastor at Frontline. And so my wife, Mariah, and I are both pastors there. And um, so this past July, John had invited me to come speak. And so, by the way, if you're new, I'm not the pastor here. I just kind of look like him. Um, so it's good to meet you. My name is Cody. And um, so when I came here and spoke, it was, you know, it was just an awesome time getting to meet you guys and just really enjoyed it. And then two weeks later, my wife came and preached and you all forgot about me because of how amazing she is. And so now I have to like reintroduce myself as if I've never been here when I have. And so anyone else married up in the room? A couple people. All right. All the men raise their hands. Smart, smart. Um, you know, I don't have a lot going for me, but God gave me this, you know, full head of hair. So I got that going for me. So amen. That's right. That's right. I got a brother over there who can relate. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. John had asked me to preach and um, man, I just, I just love this community. I love the Zero Collective. I love what it stands for. And I love that we can be a part of something greater than just a single church. Um, and that's, I think that's rare in our culture. Um, and so one of the things, man, I just love to have fun. I just enjoy, you know, as a kid, I've always had a playful spirit. I've been adventurous. And as I've gotten older, um, the way that having fun, it kind of plays out differently. It looks a little different. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, drive it like it's a rental? Anyone? I get a couple laughs. All, all the men are laughing, right? So drive it like it's a rental. Um, and so that phrase, usually you're freaked out if somebody who's driving is saying that and you're in the passenger seat because you know it's about to be a fast ride, right? And so that phrase comes out of this idea um, when we don't own something, we drive it a little bit differently, right? So drive it like it's a rental. Um, so two, about two years ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and my wife and I, we were over there pastoring and we were both living off like an internship salary. So, you know, we were eating rice and beans and we wanted dessert. So we wanted to pick up a little extra, you know, money and a side job. And so what I ended up doing is I rented out my car through, um, an app called Turo. So I don't know if you've heard that, but it's basically car sharing. Um, and so I would put my, put my car on this platform and people would basically be able to come and run out my car. Pretty awesome. Um, and you know, I rented out my car to a lot of people and it was, you know, it, it, it helped give us a little bit more money when we were in need. And, um, you know, there were some people who really leaned into this idea of drive it like it's a rental. So the car I was running out, it was a retired cop car, um, big motor, and you know, it had the little side mirrors. And so obviously, if you're looking to rent a car, that's the one you're gonna choose, big motor, you know, and you get to play a cop for a day or a week or however long you rent it for. So I had, um, I had this one person, they rented it, and you know, I, I rented it to a lot of people, and most, most people, as far as I know, took care of it. Uh, there was this one person that came back with it, and um, they pull up, and there's steam coming out of the, you know, the hood, there's coolant leaking out the bottom. I go inside the car, they had like smoked in it, and there was garbage all over the place. And so, as you could imagine, I was like, huh, like you had the car for three days. I wonder if I rented it out to you for like a month what the car would look like. So, you know, that was, that was pretty disappointing. 
disappointing, but they obviously lived into this idea of drive it like it's a rental. Um, and so fast forwarding, my wife and I, we moved here about six months ago, um, love Grand Rapids. We're coming from Atlanta, so ask me that in December when it's freezing and there's like two feet of snow, I might not say the same thing, but for now it's great. And um, we bought a house, and so when we were looking at the market, you know, obviously, um, if you know the market right now, it's pretty crazy. Um, and so basically, what me and my wife agreed on is there's no way we're going to buy a house unless we buy like a duplex where we can live in half and rent out the other half to kind of supplement the mortgage. That was the only way that we felt comfortable buying in this market. So that's what we did. We bought a duplex, and um, you know, what was crazy is as we were looking through different houses, I was like, man these houses are a mess. Um, you know, there was renters in, in some of the houses we were looking at and it was just like garbage from floor to ceiling. And, and so I was like, man, I don't know what we're getting into, but God has blessed us with good renters. Um, they came with the house. So that was, we didn't even have to pay for them. They just came with the house, which is great. Um, and yeah, they just been just such a blessing. But I realized that at some point, you know, we might run into somebody with the mentality of drive it like it's a rental. And so there's this idea that um, when, when you're the owner of something, you take care of it. You have a little bit of a different mentality. You, you tend to care for it because you know you got to deal with it and you don't want to wreck it because then you'll have to fix it and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're a renter, what ends up happening is you treat it like it's not your own. You know, you kind of, you trash it or, or whatever, because at the end of the day, you get to leave that situation and the owner's left with kind of that mess. And so that's, that's something that, you know, I've kind of learned, you know, over the years with that. And, you know, as we get into this series, we've been talking a lot about marriage and even taking ownership of our marriage. Um, and man, hasn't that been such a blessing? If you're married like me, man, I've just, God has really been stirring and, and speaking to this reality that um, marriage, we're, we're the most healthy when we're seeking after God together. Um, and that's, that's really spoke to my heart in a lot of ways. And I'm excited today and I'm going to unashamedly talk a lot about singleness, because if you're in the room and you're single, you've been kind of probably sitting in the back, you know, because you're not married. And so you've been hearing all this married stuff. And again, I think it's important to know, but man, I'm really excited to go after singleness. And the reason is, is Paul actually highlights singleness is like a more preferred um, way of life. Paul himself, the apostle Paul, he himself was single. And so um, this, this morning, if you're, you know, if you're online or in the, and you're in the room and you're single, lean in, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you um, this morning, because I know our married folk, you've gotten, we've gotten a lot of care and love through this series. So, uh, man, I'm just excited for it. Um, and so here's the reality. A lot of us in the room are single. Um, and if you're online, you may be single. And some of us, it's by choice. You know, maybe, maybe you're in a season where you're, where you're waiting. You just haven't found the right person. Or maybe God's called you to singleness. Maybe God has, has, has really put that on your heart where, where you're going to at least be single in this season. Um, and then there may be some of us in the room where maybe you're not single by choice. You know, maybe, maybe you were divorced or maybe you lost a spouse. And so you were in a relationship, but now you're not. And so all of us in the room, whether you're single or not, we have probably been single at one point. And can I just admit to you, being single in our culture, it's kind of a nightmare, if we're being honest. It's hard. I remember when I was single, um, I just felt like, like kind of the world has been designed for married people. And especially as you get older, you just start to realize how single you are because everyone's getting married and everyone's in relationships and they're starting families. And then like you're over here with your dog and you're like, you know, 
you know, smiling and putting it on Facebook as if that's your family. And so there's culture has really, um, it's just, it's made it tough to be single and single can be lonely. Um, and it's just difficult. I think it's, I think it's hard in our culture. And today we're going to dig into the book of Corinthians. And as I mentioned before, Paul, who was single is the author here. And it's kind of ironic because Paul spoke, he was like the master of marriage advice. And Paul is a single man and I am married, and I'm going to give you single advice today. So me and Paul are a little confused, but the gospel can speak for itself. So um, so my encouragement is, man, just lean in if you're single. Scripture is full of just single people who made a huge impact for furthering the kingdom. And obviously, one of those people are Jesus. And he was the perfect example as a single male um, throughout Scripture. And so we get to, we get to learn from him. And Paul really speaks to the Corinthian church and Paul had, had visited the church. And basically what Paul's doing is, you know, he's, he's coming to the Corinthian church and he's teaching them all about Jesus and how, you know, there's no condemnation in sin and how now you have the Holy spirit. And so you don't have to be mastered by sin. And he's, he's laying out the foundation of faith for them. And then he leaves and Paul, you know, I don't know if it was a carrier pigeon, you know, they didn't have phones back then. So I don't know how Paul heard, but somehow he heard that the Corinthian church was not living the way that he originally had preached to them about. And so he hears back, and they were just completely entrenched in sin. Everything that Paul had said to them, they might, he, they might as well have just had earplugs in when he was doing it. They were just deeply in sin. In fact, they were sinning in ways that um, they said unbelievers would even think is detestable. So they were um, very much forgetting what Paul was speaking to. And so what's interesting is the people thought, oh, well, we're free in Christ. Jesus died for our sins, so we can just sin freely, right? Isn't that how that works? Jesus forgives us every time we sin, and so that was their mentality. But what Paul was preaching to them is, we're not, we're not freed up to sin, we're freed from sin. And so that was the dichotomy there, and, and so the, you know, what Paul was preaching and what the people received were a little bit different. And can I be honest? I think what the, the Corinthian church was going through, I, if, like, if I had to be honest with you, I think largely that's kind of what we experience in the North American church. They believed what Paul said. They believed what, what, who Jesus was and what he did. They believed you know, with their head that these things happened, but they didn't believe it with their heart. The Corinthian church, they believe historically that Jesus did what he did, but spiritually it seemed like they missed out. Like the, it just, it just never hit their heart. And if I had to be honest with you, it seems like, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people like that in the North American church. We're like, yeah, I know, I, I know, I know what it says, but it's like their heart's not in it, just their head. And Paul, Paul has a lot to say about this. And so I'm going to, I'm going to open up to first Corinthians six nineteen through 20. It should be up on the screen for you. Um, it says this, do you not know that your bodies?" are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so right off the top, what's interesting is, is Paul kind of speaks the first line out of his mouth. He's speaking with a bit of sarcasm. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Guys, Paul knows that they knew that because he told them. And so Paul kind of has this like sarcastic edge of like, do you not know? Um, and so Paul is, 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 is speaking out of a great um, frustration here. 
And what Paul is talking about, we got to get this because this matters. The, this, he's going into this language of our body is a temple. And so we got to understand what a temple is so we can understand what Paul's talking to. A temple is a place sacred to God and free from sin and immorality. A temple is a place sacred to God and free from sin and immorality. And so, like I mentioned before, as a renter, we, we tend to just mess things up, right? Because it's not our own. And so whether it's a car or a house, we just trash it because at the end of the day, we can borrow it and then we can leave and just leave that mess over here. And can I be honest with you? It seems like we live like this in our body. Like we sin so much, like we, we can do whatever we want because at the end of the day, this is just rented space. It's, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to sin freely because at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to die and, and my body's going to go and it just doesn't matter. So I'm just going to sin freely. I'm going to treat this like rented space. And verse 19 says this, you are not your own. The text says you are not your own. Man, our culture hates that. You are not your own. We belong to God. That's what that means. Our body is not God's rental. It's his home. Our body is not God's rental. It's not the cesspool where we can do whatever we want because the dwelling place of God exists here. And so it's not a rental. It's his home. And here's the thing. I get it because I was single too. And, and there's a lot of pressure if you're single. There's pressure on all sides, right? You get pressure from, you get it from your family, your friends, your peers, you get it from social media, you get it on every billboard. When you, like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you're reminded of why you're single and probably why you shouldn't be. And we hear it too, you know, maybe it's your parents, you know, maybe it's friends and hey, when are you going to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Or hey, when are you going to get engaged? Or hey, when are you going to, when are you going to have kids or, or get married or move into a house? And so we get all of these pressures from people. And the problem is, is we mistake that as God's pressure. And I don't know if the two are the same. They could be, but only you and God would know that. Or we put that pressure on ourselves as a single because here's the reality, if you're single, that's lonely. And we're so afraid of being alone in this culture. And so maybe that pressure, you're putting that on yourself. Maybe nobody's even put that on you. But as a single, you have so much pressure on yourself because of what you see and what you hear. And, and, and there's a gap and there's a void inside of you. And so maybe you experience that. And here's what I think the problem is. We're, we're trading the eternal truth of God for this temporary comfort from people. And so what we do as people is we usually run to sin in that case. Because if you're single, if there's a void, if there's a numbness inside of us, what we end up doing is we want to exit. We want to remove ourselves from that situation. So what do we do? We go to people. We have sex in that context, thinking that will fill us. We, we go out, we do, we're, we're immersed in drugs or, or you name it, whatever it is. What we do is we, we go to people and we draw to people to try to um, fill this gap that's in our heart. And the problem is, is that's God's work. Only he can do that. And when Paul says your body is a temple, can I, can I just say this? If you're in the room or if you're online and you're single, you have to know that Paul's talking about you too. Your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit. Not just married people, not just people that have everything figured out or they have a family or they have a dog or a house or whatever. Singles have the Holy Spirit in them too and, and, and that's what Paul is talking about. And so here's my encouragement, man. Do not wish, don't wish the, the single years away. God did so much in my life and later I'm gonna talk about how I almost messed that up but God God did so much to refine me in my single years. And so if you're single, there's a good chance you may get married one day. So don't wish those years away. And even if you don't, man, there's a lot of power that comes with being single. Paul was, and you have an advantage within that. Jesus died for us so his resurrection power could be in us. Jesus' death meant something beyond the grave. So when Jesus died for us, that means that somehow we unlocked access to his resurrection power. And if this is true, if what I'm saying is true, then we have to understand that there's something required of us, and it's costly, but it's worth it. As a landlord, I sound like so stuffy. I'm, I'm the landlord, right? As a landlord, so I have a house, I have a rental, and as the landlord, I write the contract. And the purpose of the contract is to keep the people renting under my space, under the, the place that I'm dwelling, safe. Um, and it's not to make it boring for them. It's not to like put them in a box. The whole purpose of, of me being the landlord and making the contract or the terms is to make sure A, they're safe, but also so they can live the life intended within the context of the house. And so in a similar way, God, he wrote the new covenant and he has a covenant relationship designed for us. And I, I remember I grew up believing this, that, well, God's just going to suck my personality away and, and he's going to take and make everything unfun. That's not what God's trying to do. It's just not. God's covenant, the reason he has made that is he has made, um, he has painted a picture through Jesus of what a perfect life looks like. And here's the reality. It's a high calling. And with a high calling, sometimes there's a short leash. We can't just do what we want all the time. And so verse 19, it says, whom you have received from God. And so we're receiving this covenant from God. And if we're receiving it from God, then that means there's something that is required from us. And it's a message we have to lean into from God. And can I be honest with you as a single, probably the biggest thing that would remove us from being in a relationship with God or, or that would get in the way of us drawing into Jesus and our relationship with him. Can I be honest with you and say that it's probably our struggle, the struggle is probably going to be sexually related because as a single what are you going to do? We all have that natural desire in us. I think that's something, that's a, a way in which God has created us. And so if we have a Christian perspective, sex is off the table for singles. God has designed that to be within the context of marriage. And so if you're in a dating relationship or um, you're single, or even if you're engaged, sex is still off the table. I know that's costly. And so I think as a single, that's, that's one of the biggest battles that I think our culture puts a ton of pressure on. Like, hey, oh, you're not whole unless you have sex. You're not a man or a woman unless you have sex. And it's, and it's weird. Like, as I say, it kind of feels like a buzzword, right? It's like, oh, he just said sex. It's getting weird now. And the reality is, is God has made that to be such a beautiful thing within the context of marriage. And culture has just distorted that. 
And here's the reality. We think that's a necessary part of making us whole. Can I just tell you that that's not true? And if you're in school, I, I didn't give my life to Jesus till later, but I, don't, I can't even imagine how hard it would be to be a high schooler today. Like on all sides, you have pressure on you. And even outside of that, there's pressure to engage in that. And here's the reality. The enemy is persecuting our soul and we're going to people to heal the wound that only God can. And here's the reality. A relationship with God, that's the only relationship that can make us whole. And it's enough. It is enough. And what's, what's awesome is 1 Corinthians 7.38, it says, So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not, who does not marry does better. So not only is, is Paul saying you can live a whole life without having sex and you can be single and do that, but also he's saying you have an advantage as somebody who is single. Because if you're married, your heart's divided. I love my wife, and, and there are times where we get so consumed in, in trying to figure our stuff out that we push God to the margins. And I'm not saying marriage is cursed, like God has blessed that, but here's the reality. If you're single, what Paul is saying is there's a bit of an advantage that you have that once you get married, if you get married, you kind of lose it. And the whole point of marriage anyway is to grow together in Christ. And so either way, if you're single in the room, you're not lacking in fact, what makes you a desirable person? I think that's the fear we have is I don't want to, like, if I'm single, people are going to think there's something wrong with me, that I'm not desirable. You want to know what makes you desirable? The spirit of God in you. And not everybody's going to be attracted to that. In fact, to quote some of my friends, you, you got weird. I've even heard that. Oh, well, I love my relationship with God. So that's my encouragement. And here's the reality, because I get it. It doesn't even seem possible to live single and not be able to have sex. Because here's the reality. God has created us um, to naturally be attracted and to naturally have urges and to naturally have um, like a pull to, to the opposite sex. And so it doesn't even seem possible. That may be your perspective. And I know, I know for a long time it was like, God, I'll give you all of this, but I'm just going to wrap this up in a box and... I'm, I'm holding on to it like this, white knuckles. And maybe, maybe you're there, maybe not. And so I, I went to school with um, a guy who was just wicked smart, awesome guy, just a, a, just a you know, kind of quiet, but just really smart, just, just very kind. And I, uh, he graduated and came back to school, and he spoke in, in one of our classes. And what he came to, to share with us is that he was openly gay. He had come out. Um, at his job as a pastor, and he said, he said, I'm gay, I have same-sex attraction, and what, in, in a crux of what he was telling us is he has chosen celibacy as a gay pastor, and so what that means is he has chosen not to get married and to abstain from sex, and so he, whether or not he, you know, was made or born to be that way, it doesn't matter. Here's the reality. He knows what, what it was going to cost him, and he couldn't just live and, and let the flesh do whatever it wanted. He knew it was going to cost him. And so he was a gay pastor, and he's still pastoring, and, and he's chosen celibacy. And so here's the reality. Sexual abstinence, abstinence does not mean you're lacking anything. And what John said next um, man, it was inspiring and something that I, that I really think we need to know. 
John said, somebody came up to him and said, you know what, man? Like, man, I'm just sorry that you have to go through this. Like, I'm sorry that, like, you have to be alone. And, and man, that just stinks. And John said, wait, 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 hold on. Don't feel sorry for me. He said, it is a great honor to choose singleness and to choose God. In fact, I hope you're proud of me. He didn't want anyone to feel sorry for him because he wasn't lacking anything. He had everything he needed. And from the outside, people, uh, they, they don't really see that. But what John discovered is that his relationship with God is, was more than enough. That's rare. That's just rare today. I'm not perfect. And I went through it and I struggled. But man, we need to have the spirit that John has. Rather than, hey, how can, how can we live into fairness? How can we get whatever we want? What if it looked like sacrificing and giving ourselves over to God and letting him fill our cup? Jesus died for us so his resurrection power can be in us. And here's the reality. I get what I'm saying is costly. And it's probably easy if you're online, if you're in the room and you're listening and you're single. I don't know if that's worth it. I just don't know. In verse 20, here's what it says. It says, you were bought at a price. And like I mentioned before, is we belong to God because he bought us. And buying signifies that ownership is actually cha changing. Buying signifies there is a change in ownership. And so, for example, if you go to the store and uh, you're going to buy a pair of shoes, the store owns the shoes. And when you go, and shoes are crazy expensive, by the way. I'm just like, $200 for shoes? I'm like, you know, I got my $50 boots on. I'm happy with that. But um, the reality is, is you go into a store and um, you, if you like a pair of shoes, you buy them. And so the ownership changes. The store owns the shoes, but you buy the shoes. And so now you own the shoes. And so what we have to understand is if God bought us, if we belong to God, then that means he paid a price. He gave his one and only son to die for us on the cross so that we don't have to sit there and hold all of that guilt and shame. Jesus took all that on. And so it costed God his son. What's it going to cost you? Jesus died for us so his resurrection power can be in us. And here's the reality, and here's why sin is so dangerous. Um, scripture says that when we sin uh, willfully, when we do it negligently, it's literally like we're crucifying Jesus over and over and over again. That's what scripture says. And so the problem is, is that when we sin and, and we know it's sin, but we do it anyway, what, what we're communicating is we're saying, you know, Jesus, what you did on the cross, it's admirable, but it actually didn't have any power. Your resurrection didn't really matter. It didn't mean anything because I'm just, I'm sin, like my sin is right here and this is how I'm living. And the problem with that is, is if Jesus died and he, and he resurrected and his Holy Spirit is in us, something has to change in us. So here's my question. What's our mission? What's our mission? It's not to be single it's not even to be married. It's to, be, it's to love God fully 
It's to love God fully with our whole heart, not half our heart, not a quarter of our heart, not, you know, this is how I want to love God in this box right here. It's to love God fully while being single or married. And here's the reality. Jesus didn't die for our relationship with people. He died for our relationship status with him. And here's the reality, guys. Jesus, he literally traded places with us. The ownership is changing, which means if he bought us, we're no longer our own. We can't treat this like a rental. This isn't a cesspool for us to sin because he died for us. And that means ownership is changing. We belong to God. Amen. Do we believe that, church? God has called us to be set apart. And so, and here's the reality. I get it. I know there's a lot of sin. I know there's a lot of temptation, but we have an advocate. We have a helper and it's not ourself. It's not your neighbor. It's not your dog. It's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is enough to talk us off the ledge. Do you believe that church? But here's the reality that God is a gentleman. His Holy Spirit whispers and everything else is yelling. So you got to slow down. You got to slow down to hear God. And here's, and here's what we need to hear. We're not ill-equipped to fight the battle. Jesus traded sin. He took on our sin and he traded us his Holy Spirit. That's a heck of a deal. We don't have to carry that around. That's not ours to carry. So here's my encouragement. Man, tr- quit trying to take your sin back from God. It looks better on him. He knows what to do with it. We're not equipped to do that. So let me tell a story real quick. I, I was 19. I gave my life to Jesus. And um, I was single for about six years. And I really enjoyed the first two to three. Um, you know, everything was new. Just loved my new relationship with God. And if I had to be honest with you, I got kind of tired of being single. I had dated all the way up to that point pretty much since middle school. And being alone that long was hard. And I started to kind of, I was kind of angry with God. I said, God, you know, like, I get it. Like, I I, I gave up so much for you. So why, why, why is there not somebody for me? And I had a moment of prayer and I just felt like God was speaking to my heart. You're not half a person. You're a whole person in me. And I just felt like his grace come in. And, and so what I did is I said, you know what, God, I, I don't know if I'm going to be single for a lifetime or, or maybe I'll get married later. But at the end of the day, that's up to you. This is my job and it's to be fully surrendered to you. He was speaking in my heart. He had a full life for me and it wasn't pending a relationship status. It was pending my relationship status with him. And here's the reality. My situation didn't change. I was single for years after that still. There was a shift in my heart. And all that space that I had just, you know, allowed for, you know, the enemy to speak, oh, you're single, you're undesirable, or oh, so-and-so won't want you, you'll never get married. Once I just, you know, got that out of me, I had so much space for God then. I was like, man, that was, there was so, like, I felt like the world was on my shoulders. And when I cleared that out, when I gave that to God, it's like all of a sudden I had so much more space. I had so much more to give to God and to lean in. So here's my encouragement. Man, let's just move away from the rental perspective. This isn't a rental. 
your physical body, your spirit, your soul, none of it is a rental. God has fully redeemed all of it, including your physical body. And so if that's true, this isn't rented space. If anything, it's borrowed. It's God's. We belong to him. And so clean it up. Treat it like God's home. Treat it like God's home. And when we tap into his resurrection power, I think we have what we need to prevail to live a whole life. Do we believe that? So here's how I want to close and we'll go into worship. Some of you may, you may have heard that and, 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 you know, you're really mad at me in the room, you know, or online and you're like, ugh, like he's asking me to give up something that I, I just really don't want to. In fact, I wish I didn't come to church because now I hear it and now because I have the knowledge of it, now I feel like I should. I get it. And maybe some of you identify with that and you're living with some kind of rented space and there's something that you haven't given to God yet. And so can I encourage you, and I do this every day, can we repent of that? Can we leave that here in the room and go out today without that? And second, part of, I think, what we believe is um, somehow if God is calling us to be single, he's calling us to be in isolation. No, he's not. The very nature of God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not calling, if, if, he's, if you're single right now, if he's calling you for a season of singleness or maybe a lifetime of singleness, he's not calling you to isolation. He might be calling you to be alone, but that doesn't mean you're isolated. And so here's my encouragement. God wants you to be in community. And so if you're single in the room or if you're single online and you're not in a small group, that's my encouragement. Jump into one. What a, what a better place than to connect with people as a single and, and grow in your relationship with Jesus. Can we do that? We excited about that? We serve a good God, don't we? Let me pray for us and we'll go back into worship. So Father, I think there's something that you're speaking to us here this morning. And God, I just remember I had such, I was so bent in my sin before and I remember hearing preachers. I remember hearing things that were calling me higher. And God, I was so resistant to it. But God, there's something you want to do. Your Holy Spirit can fill the void that we think that the sin can. And so if there's somebody in the room that has not yet to believe that, God, that they don't think that the resurrection power is the same power that we have access to, Would you break us down, God? Help us to surrender to that. The same power that rose you from the dead, God, raises us today. And so, Lord, just for this room, God, would you just comfort single people? There is so much pressure on single people. It's disgusting. But, God, you are a good God. You are a kind God. And you are faithful to help and to serve. And so, Lord, we love you. God, we desire to know you deeper. And God, as we go into worship, would we just take time to repent and reflect? And also, God, where are you calling us into community as a single? So Lord, we love you. And all God's people said, amen.